Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. At that point, it just scared me because it scared my daughter because she was four at the time. I just don't, I don't ever want to see that again in life. You know, we don't want just to release people out on the street. We want them to find jobs and, and reconnect with their family. I went to the law library every day to try to figure it out. This is a nonpartisan, bipartisan issue. It's not a Democrat or a Republican. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last month, Dawn Houston was released from the Chillicothe Correctional Center. Dawn served seven years and nine months for selling a few ounces of marijuana to an undercover cop. Dawn had been sentenced to an even longer prison term. She was supposed to serve 15 years with no chance of parole. Her early release comes courtesy of a commutation from Governor Mike Parson. Dawn is at least the 15th Missouri inmate sentenced under the state's draconian prior and persistent drug offender laws who's now getting out of prison. Those laws have been repealed, but it's taken the governor's actions to apply them one by one to cases like Dawn's. And she joins us today to tell us her story. Dawn Houston, welcome. Hi. So Dawn, how did you get the news that Governor Parson was commuting your sentence? I got called back to the IPO's office January 31st. She basically just said that the governor has looked over your clemency and he agrees to what you have wrote and he's going to apply by your request and let you out. So when you were summoned down for that meeting, did you have any idea what was coming? Um, no, I, I thought maybe, I was more thinking like maybe the law changed for weed. Like maybe it got, it's legal all the way around, but I wasn't thinking the clemency at all. And so when you were told this, that the, the governor had, had uh, commuted the sentence and that you would be getting out in, in just about a month, <clears throat> what was your reaction to that? I just couldn't believe it. I started crying and I couldn't catch my words because it's the same office. They told me that I had to stay longer. So I just had so many mixed emotions at the same time. Yeah. So I was overwhelmed. And so, as you said, you knew that date right off the top of your head. That was January 31st. When you get clemency like this, you don't get released immediately. You still ended up being in in prison for about a month. What were those final weeks like as you were waiting to finally get out? Well, uh, actually, uh, January 31st is when I got told. And then I, I got released February 8th. Okay, so you just had about a week at that point. Yeah, I uh, it went kind of fast. I had a whole week just to prepare for home plan and get everything settled out here. And then that following week is when they released me. Wow. Well, congratulations. I mean, so now you've been out for for more than a month. How's everything going? Couldn't be better. I'm blessed in so many ways. Uh, found a job 
everything's going good. Reconnected with my family. My daughter's doing good. Like just small blessings are starting to come my way. I, I, right now I have no downfall. I'm so glad to hear that. And you were able to land a job so quickly. Were you out there just trying to make that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did all that. Like I got my license back and I got a job all at the same time. It's just things that I have to get done because my daughter is staying with my mom right now. So I have to get everything ready for her to come back to live with me. So I'm just trying my hardest to get everything the way it's supposed to be. So, Dawn, you were in your 30s when you were arrested. Um, You had sold about $500 worth of marijuana to an undercover cop. As you mentioned, you have a daughter, and and she was pretty young at that point. What was your life like prior to that arrest that changed everything? Um, Well, actually, I was actually doing good, and I was doing somebody a favor. So uh, it just went downhill, and it, it... at that point, it just scared me because it scared my daughter because she was four at the time. I just don't, I don't ever want to see that again in life. Yeah, I mean, she was four when this all began for you. Um, that must have just been so hard. She was so young at that point, and, and you didn't know initially how long you'd be going away, but you knew you were looking at some time in prison. Were you worried about her? Uh, yeah, because, uh, well, I have good support. My mom and dad were there no matter what, hands down. But it it was just, I'm a first-time mom, so I was just concerned about everything. I didn't want to let her go, but I knew she would be in good hands with my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did an excellent job. I couldn't be more blessed for that. So, um, it, it was just, I, I just wasn't ready to let go at all. Yeah. Did you know at that point, um, when you were headed into the sentencing, that you would be doing 15 years? I I took an open plead. First, he was trying to give me 30 years. I turned that down. And then he was trying to give me uh, like 12 years. I turned that down. He was trying to give me 10 years. And I turned that down. Because at this time, I was still doing good and working and going to school. And he wasn't trying to give me a chance at like drug court or anything. So I just feel like the crime and punishment is very harsh and I wasn't trying to max out on everything. And so I took an open plea and I guess he got mad and gave me 15 years. So you thought going into this, you'd be looking at a much shorter sentence and it was the judge who, who kind of threw the book at you? Yeah. And so normally um, drug offenders can get parole and they only have to serve about 30 percent of their sentences. But in your case, you ended up not being eligible for parole because you had one prior low level drug conviction. Again, just a small amount of drugs there. Did you know at the point when you when you pled guilty that this was going to be a sentence that was going to come without the chance of parole? No, no, I I didn't know that until. uh April 9th of 2018. I already did four years, and I already been to the board. I had an out date, and I was about to go to treatment. And I got called, and they said the law changed. And now I had to stay to my CR date, which was 2026, because now it became non-parolable. And if I didn't have a CR date, I'd have to get maxed out. So I found out being in there after four years. 
And CR, that's conditional release, um, basically, yeah. meaning you, you didn't have a chance at conditional release. What was that like to learn at that point that your sentence was so much longer than any normal sentence would normally be? I, I probably wasn't in the right mind frame for a long time. I got hysterical in her office because I, I don't get in that much trouble to deserve eight more years on top of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't understand how this could ha- be happening. I don't even I don't even have that much drug prevention that anything I, don't, I, I could understand. So I uh, I I was just beside myself for a long time. But a lot of the women there and staff like helped me and. I went to the law library every day, try to figure it out every day after that and try to figure out the law because they had no clue. So I just learned on my own and kept trying to do clemencies and I didn't know if I was doing anything right. And they kept sending them back and I just kept filling them out every time. And I just keep trying and trying and calling different people and lawyers for advice. And I tried to get a lawyer, but people kept saying I'd have no chance basically. And I'm like, well, I'm following that guy's case, and I know I have a chance because he got out. And, and you're so, speaking there of Demetrius Woods. This was kind of a high-profile, yes. similar case where he was able to get out. Yeah. And so that was on your mind. You thought you must have a chance. You were continuing to, to try to petition time and again. But it sounds like the experts you talked to, they did not think you had a chance. Yeah, I followed his case to the T because they let him out, and they were going to bring him back in. So I'm like... Okay, and we were similar except just more time, same law. So I'm like, there's got to be an opening somewhere there for me or anybody else. And um, the lawyers I asked, even the same ones, they just basically said each case is different. I go, well, each case might be different, but the law still looks at us as one. So Mm -hmm. I don't understand how come I don't fall with the help like other people did. So... I didn't really get no help nowhere. Yeah. You were just serving as your own advocate, didn't know if any of it yeah. was working. At, at the same time, yeah. your daughter was growing up. I mean, when you when you were arrested, she was four. And I know you got to see her um, throughout your time in prison, but you weren't able to be there living with her. Did that weigh on you heavily? Yes. It weighed on me just the girl she was about to turn into, the resentment, the hate she would have for me. I was hoping none of that would be a problem or if she would have problems in her own life. But we didn't tell my daughter. We just told her they messed up my parole and we don't know when we're coming home. Mm -hmm. We kept that from her that I'm in here longer because I just, she was doing good out there. So I didn't want to put more pressure on her. She already knew I was locked up. So I didn't Mm -hmm. add any more to her. So when was she able to get the news that the governor had given you clemency, you were going to be coming home and, and in just a matter of weeks, in one week. Uh, my mom my mom told her the day I told, on March, I mean, on January 31st, my mom couldn't hold water. So when she picked her up from school, she uh, she wouldn't let me tell her. So I just let her, let her tell her. And she must have had quite a reaction. Yeah, she was so excited when I called back when she got out of school and she just, she was just so excited. She was calling all her friends and everybody. 
So, Don, you had referenced Demetrius Woods's case, and he was the only one who was able to gain release by arguing that this new law that repealed this prior and persistent drug offender status, that this should be retroactive. And the Missouri Supreme Court ruled against him, tried to put him back in prison. It was only Governor Parson's commutation that saved him. So he got out because of the governor. Now you've been able to get out because of the governor. He's kind of dealt with these cases one by one. There's now been 16 of you. And so what would you want the people of Missouri to know about these drug laws and the fact that there are these people serving who have no chance at at getting parole? They're serving these very long sentences for, again, low levels of drugs. Just don't give up hope. Like, I thought the light was so dim until, until God just opened all my prayers. But just, I bugged everybody. So just bug everybody you know or just keep doing it and keep doing it because right is right. And I feel like doing 15 years or 12 years or 20 years or whatever you have to do with your time is is like putting a dog down. It's way too much time on that way too much like after a while you just felt like you're just being way too punished Mm -hmm. for this you went from understanding that you broke the law to now you're never going to see the light of day because you broke a little b law you know and it's just it's the most ungodly feeling to have every day to wake up and you see everybody else leaving and their convictions are way more heavier than yours and it's I don't know. I had just so many mixed emotions all the time. I went from anger to happy to blessed. And I didn't know how to help other people because I I was so messed up in my own world trying to get out. Mm -hmm. But you just have to just keep praying and, and just keep hoping that somebody out there hears us and that there's a lot of people crying to get out. There's a lot of people that are in this situation that don't know how to get out or they're paid lawyers, and the lawyers don't want to help them out because they're not high-profile cases, and they're just peons, and nobody wants to help them. And that's another sad thing, that nobody takes our word serious. They just think of us as numbers, and it's sad. And there's a lot of good people in there that just need help. Well, Don Houston, hearing your story today, I, I think this is sobering and something that we all need to be paying attention to. I want to thank you for joining us today and, and sharing it. Thank you so much. And we wish you and your daughter uh, the best of luck going forward as, as you're entering into this new life. Thank you. We need to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk to Cherie Tolson-Reich. She's a Republican lawmaker from Hallsville. She's now renewing her efforts to help people like Don Houston get out of prison. She'll explain how. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.
And now back to today's conversation. Before the break, we heard from a Missouri mom who'd recently received clemency from Governor Parson. Dawn Houston was labeled a prior and persistent drug offender due to one previous conviction. That meant she wasn't eligible for parole. She'd need to spend 15 years in prison for just a few ounces of marijuana. Governor Parson commuted her sentence after she served seven years and nine months. And now we're joined by a lawmaker who wants to help more people like Dawn. Representative Cherie Tolson-Reich is a Republican from Hallsville, and she has referred several cases to the governor for clemency. She's also working on a bill to deal with the issue more systematically. That's an effort that came heartbreakingly close to success last year. And Representative Cherie Tolson-Reich joins us now. Representative, welcome. Thank you for having me today, and I'm wearing my Irish green for St. Patrick's Day today. I am wearing mine, too. It's that kind of day. <laughs> so, Representative, you got interested in this issue because of the case of Demetrius Woods. This is a man who lived in your district and later got clemency from the governor. What about his case touched you? Well, his landlord was a very good friend of mine, also a constituent. And I had not been aware of the case at that point, and they scheduled a meeting with me, and we met, and Demetrius explained to me his entire plight, you know, of being released, uh, his case going all the way to the Missouri Supreme Court and being denied, and that he was going to have to go back to prison. Uh, here in Columbia, he had opened a successful business, reunited with his family, and, and was being, a, you know, a productive citizen of, of the community. Mm-hmm. And so it was just such a crying shame. I'm like, what can I do to help? And uh, in, in fact, uh, just to give your listeners a little background, there was a 2014 law that was passed that went into effect in 2017 for these um, uh, drug of, nonviolent drug offenders, and they got... Um, mandatory sentences uh, with no eligibility of parole. Well, we found out that there was a, a, a RISMO, particular ones that were accidentally left out of this change in the law. And so first, I wanted to see what can I do to help Demetrius Woods personally, and two, what could I do to change that law? When you talk about RISMO, that's the revised Missouri statute. It's basically talking about state law there. So you quickly realized this was about more than just Demetrius Woods. And yet the effort to help more than just Demetrius has been pretty complicated. Um, Last year, you had this as an amendment to this bill that ended up getting passed, and that amendment got stripped out at the last minute. How frustrating was that to see that happen? Oh, I didn't even know because it was the very last day of session and I thought it was kept in there and it was stripped out right at the close of the annual session and I didn't even find out till Monday morning and I was just shocked and upset. Um, I had gotten that bill passed unanimously through the House committees and so of course things go fast and furious and I threw it on a omnibus public safety bill, which was Senate Bill 26. Mm-hmm. And um, and we didn't know why it was stripped out. And, and to come out later, they thought there was a clerical error in the drafting and that maybe it wasn't correct, but they weren't sure. And they wanted to be safe. Oh. And they took it out just in case it was incorrect. So I have refiled that bill this year and, uh, and, and at the request of, of the... Um, Department of Corrections and the governor's office that we want to try to fix this legislatively. 
And I, I understand, also, yeah. uh, if I can break in here, I understand that you didn't refile it right away. There was some confusion at the Department of Corrections where initially they thought this wasn't needed. They, they've come back around to say, yes, we want this bill. So I've continually worked with them for the last couple of years on this and, and with the governor's office on commutations. And, and I actually uh, just at Christmas got a pardon uh, for a person in my district. But first I felt that he had done so many commutations that maybe this wasn't uh, going to affect that many people. And so we had ongoing discussions. And then they said, well, you know, let's just fix this and let's just do it and go ahead, even if there's not a lot of people, because they're going to continue to look at individual case-by-case basis to see if we can, you know, do the commutations. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was felt, let's get this in statute. So the thing that makes this so complicated, one of the ironies of this, you know, Governor Parson granted clemency to Don Houston, who we heard from earlier. Um, And, you know, this is exactly the kind of person you want to help, the kind of person he wants to help here. But what you've introduced wouldn't even cover Don Houston because she was sentenced for drug distribution. This bill is looking at convictions for drug trafficking. And there's just all these little different laws, which I shouldn't say little, they're big laws where people do hard time. But it's all so complicated. As you've been digging into this issue, has that been frustrating to realize just how many different ways people might be sentenced and still fall under this criteria? Right, because there's so many different um, statutes that one can be convicted of. And so we have to take a look at each and every one. And are we focusing on you know, what what maybe the governor is, is hoping to achieve or what the legislature is hoping to achieve as far as criminal justice reform goes. And, you know, you split hair sometimes. Okay, is it, is it trafficking? Uh, you know, what the different charges are mm-hmm. and, and what statute they fall under. And is this something where, as a whole, you would like this to touch for nonviolent drug offenders who are doing really lengthy sentences? That would be the ultimate goal, to get people under under that umbrella. Absolutely, because that's exactly right, you know, and uh, at least give them a chance at the eligibility of parole. Now, I, you know, does that mean they're going to automatically get out? No, they will still have to go in front of the parole board, make sure they've been, you know, good citizens while, while incarcerated. But I think part of this also, this is just such a big picture coming from all fronts. You know, the governor, when he took office, said he would not build more prisons. Uh, one of our prisons, um, I just recently got a numbers count, is dropping. Hmm. Our, our incarcerated numbers are going down in, in certain particular areas uh, in, in some of the different prisons. But also drug courts. Um, we're seeing now judges now trying to keep people from being incarcerated and sending them to drug courts. Uh, I work with, uh, deal with one here in Boone County, but there, there are a few throughout the state, but I think we need to look at expanding those also. And, and do you think, for the most part, that lawmakers support this, that they're in favor that for nonviolent drug offenders, that, you know, long sentences are no longer the way to go? Absolutely. And this is a nonpartisan, bipartisan issue. It's not a Democrat or a Republican. I think this is everyone is on board with this. Everybody sees, you know, we want people to become productive members of society. I have such a wonderful program in my district called Into Action. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when, when uh, it's a men's group, 
facility that um, when they get out of prison, we get them jobs and their driver's license and, and, you know, get their life back together. And so, you know, we don't want just to release people out on the street. We want them to find jobs and, and reconnect with their families. So that brings to mind a couple of these cases that you've worked on. You know, you were in the room when Governor Parson commuted the sentence of Demetrius Woods. And since then, you've watched him build his life in Columbia. He still seems to be doing great. Does his ability to rebuild his life maybe offer proof to lawmakers that these laws were too harsh to begin with? Absolutely. So Demetrius Woods and I have become great friends, and he has opened three businesses in uh, Colombia and Mexico. He has also uh, got a contract to run concession stands at MU football and basketball games. But the real important thing that I'm seeing now is he is mentoring high school students, Hmm. you know, uh, here working with the local Columbia Police Department, the local high schools. He even went to Riverview Gardens there in St. Louis, his old school. And he's trying to steer people, you know, in the right direction when they're young. Uh, And don't make the same mistakes he did. You know, don't get into gangs and don't deal drugs on and on. And... uh, Make a a better life for yourself. It's so great to think of how he's able to have this impact that he wouldn't be able to have if if he was still locked up. I mean, that's huge. Absolutely. And um, I have specifically worked hard and gotten four men sentences commuted and one man, uh, all his felonies uh, completely pardoned by the governor. I am continuing to work on cases individually and, you know, some uh, some are great candidates and, you know, maybe a couple are not such great candidates. But this isn't over until we can at least give people the chance. And, and just like Don said earlier, uh, we don't want them to just be a number. These are fellow citizens, fellow human beings of our state, and they have families, and, and we want them, you know, to have the best life they can. And, and Representative Tolson Reich, you mentioned you've now been involved in four different cases where those men were granted clemency. Are all four of them, uh, they're doing well today. They, they haven't been arrested again. Um, they're making mm-hmm. the most of that freedom. Yes, they are. Um, one, uh, besides Demetrius, who I talk to almost weekly, text or Facebook, and uh, is uh, Robert Franklin. So Robert lives uh, in my district, just ironically, coincidentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not just targeting people in, in my area, of course. Um, but he, he actually texted me on Christmas Day to say Merry Christmas. And we text about once a month, and I call him occasionally just to see how he's doing. Does he need anything? But he has rec- uh, reconnected uh, with his teenage daughter, and uh, that is now the love of his life. And the mm-hmm. focus is that he be there as her dad. That's uh, and the other. Two I mean, that's come, huge. One, one came from Springfield area, and one St. Charles area, and they're both doing great, also. Well, that's so great to hear. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, that just makes your heart so joyful to know that you've been able to make the difference in their lives. And yet, you know, there are people like Dawn. When we talked to Dawn, she mentioned us just off the top of her head, like three or four other women she knows just in, in Chillicothe who are in that same situation. How heavily does that weigh on you today? Um, I would love maybe to take a look at their case if they want they or their family want to reach out to me, and I would be glad to try to see if uh, 
you know, if, if the uh, Department of Corrections and the governor would be open to that. I can tell you the governor has continued to do pardons and commutations on a regular basis about every two to three months. You will see a press release come out with more and more and more. And, and that, I mean, we have seen those, um, but it feels like going case by case. Is that maybe too slow a rate to get to the bottom of this? Yes, but it, it, each case is different and unique. And we have to keep in mind, um, he inherited between three to 4,000 uh, requests of commutations or pardons. And so he had a backlog from several different prior uh, administration. So and, and he that's is a, trying to wade through those. Yeah, that's a great point. There was a huge backlog. Uh, Representative Cherie Tolson-Reich, um, we are unfortunately out of time, but I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.